Good evening. You know, in Revelation chapter 5 and verse 9 and Revelation chapter 8 and verse 3, we see just how important prayer is to God. It seems to be illustrated as an incense, a sweet-smelling savor that's going up to God in heaven. And if we think about how touched we are when we hear men like we've heard tonight to come up before us and to pray, the diversity of their lives, the diversity of place where they are in their Christian walk, and the diversity of things that they prayed about and how it touched our heart, we with our imperfections and we with our struggles to focus and pay attention I want you to think about the perfect God in heaven and how he received those prayers, the prayers of his faithful saints and how valuable they are to him. When you think about the subject of prayer, you think about Jesus because the two are synonymous in so many different ways. You know, Jesus is a proper object of worship and that would include prayer. And so we should think about Jesus as intimately a part of our prayer life. But not only that, we think about Jesus in terms of the fact that he, though they may not have called his name, was on the lips of millions of people from the time of the Garden of Eden who were seeking and asking for a Savior. When we think about our Savior Jesus, we think about the fact that prayer is so much dependent upon him because he ever lives to make intercession for the saints, according to Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 25. When you think about Jesus... You think about prayer. From the time that Jesus was an infant and he was dedicated at the temple, in Luke chapter 2, you have prayers that are prayed. You have Anna and Simeon as they pray to God in thanksgiving for the Savior who's come into this world. It is obvious as we begin to study our Bibles that Jesus was devoted to prayer. He was so intricately involved in prayer and so effective in it That in Luke chapter 11 and verse 1, you have the disciples who come up to him and say, Lord, teach us to pray. Even as John also taught his disciples to pray. Luke chapter 11 and verse 1. What I want to do tonight is not elaborate at all. I want us to look at the prayer life of Jesus. And I want us to just notice three things that we can learn as Jesus teaches us about prayer. And when we think about prayer, the first thing that will be noteworthy to us is that we see when Jesus prayed. You know, you could look at this in the sense of chronologically. There are so many time markers related to the prayer life of Jesus. If you look at Jesus' prayer life, you'll find that Jesus prayed early in the morning. Mark chapter 1 and verse 35. We also find on another occasion that Jesus prayed all the way through the night. Luke chapter 6 and verse 12. We also see that Jesus, it it would seem at least from the recordings in the Gospels, that Jesus was praying throughout the daytime. And so early in the morning, through the day, even into the night, Jesus shows us an example of one who was constantly in prayer. So when we see Jesus praying, we see that when. He seems to be a living example of an admonition that the Apostle Paul is going to make a little later on when he says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 17 that we are to pray without ceasing. What I'd like for us to do is not necessarily look at this chronologically, but there were seasons, there were times during the ministry of Jesus when he prayed that are instructive for us. As we examine when Jesus prays, I want you to notice those with me as we look at them together tonight. You'll notice in Mark chapter 1 that Jesus prayed in preparation for preaching. 
in Mark chapter 1, verse 35 through 38, and in the parallel account in Luke chapter 5 and verse 16, we see that Jesus has been healing people and he has been engaged in performing miracles. And perhaps it was the draining nature of that activity, but after he's done it for such a period of time, he withdraws alone to himself and he begins to pray. And of course, the popularity of Jesus at this point is such that the disciples are seeking him out and they come to Jesus in Mark chapter 1, verse 37 and 38, and they say, Lord, everybody is looking for you. Jesus answers and says unto them, I must go into the next towns where I may preach the gospel, for for this purpose I have come forth. Jesus was focused on, he knew why he was here. He was a man of purpose, and he knew that his purpose was to proclaim the gospel. Jesus is an example to us that as we find ourselves in a position to be sharing the good news, many of the men prayed that tonight. Give us the courage as we go in to share the news, just like Jesus. That's the time when we need to pray. We need to pray in preparation for teaching. You know, in James chapter 3 and verse 1, the Bible tells us that those of us who will share the good news of Jesus Christ are those who are going to incur a strict judgment. It's not a warning for us not to say anything, but it's a reminder that we need to be driven to prayer before we share the good news of Jesus Christ. That every time we open up our mouth and we tell anybody about the good news of Christ, that we are doing something that's connected to eternity. The Apostle Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 4 in verse 1, I charge you in the presence of God and the Lord Jesus Christ who will judge the living and the dead at His coming and His appearing. Preach the word, be ready in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with all longsuffering or patience and instruction. And so if God has told us something about the importance of the how and the what and the even the why of sharing Jesus with others... We want to follow Jesus' example. That as we go out this week and we look for those opportunities to share, that we remember that Jesus found it necessary to pray in preparation to proclaim the good news. It's a time for us to pray and prepare ourselves for the same activity. But I want you to notice second with me that Jesus prayed before picking the apostles. In Luke chapter 6, as we mentioned a moment ago, that Jesus withdrew alone to himself into the wilderness and he prayed, and he prayed all night long. And the next day, Jesus went to his disciples, and among them he picked out twelve to be his apostles. When you look at the work that Jesus did, what we don't see in this prayer is exactly what it was that Jesus prayed about concerning them. Don't you wonder what it was that Jesus may have prayed with regard to these 12 men? Did he pray about Peter? Did he pray about and thought about the kind of transformation that he wanted to effect in the life of this one that would change the world to the Jew first and also to the Gentile? I wonder how much of his prayer life that night veered into the idea of praying for John, the apostle whom he loved, the man who was going to follow him virtually all the way to the cross. I wonder how much time did he spend praying about Judas, the man that he knew in just a few short years was going to betray him. I wonder if he spent any time with his perfect foreknowledge praying about the the struggles that his apostles were going to have in their jockeying for position for greatness in the kingdom or the littleness of faith that they might demonstrate or their scattering in Gethsemane. Of course, you and I don't have that task. None of us to pick any apostles 
But it makes me think about the uh, application that there is for church leaders. When those times come when elders are looking to find those men who would serve as deacons, or if there are programs that need leaders to stand in front of those and to help those to succeed, these are activities that always need to be preempted with prayer. When we're talking about the direction of the church and the leadership that's involved in getting where God wants us to be, Jesus teaches us that's the time when we pray before we launch out in any direction of an activity in which we're going to do the Lord's work. We should pray proactively about that. When I think about Jesus and I see that Jesus prayed before performing the miracles, it's incredible how often you'll find Jesus, God in the flesh, who goes to God in prayer before he does this. He prays before the feeding of the 5,000. He prays before the feeding of the 4,000. He prays before he raises Lazarus from the dead. And it makes me think, if God the Son, in overturning a law of nature, needed to pray, what about in my life? You see, I realize that I don't have the miraculous ability to work for God today, but I have spiritual gifts and spiritual abilities that I have, and God has given us a work to do. As the people of God, we have the works of edification and evangelism and benevolence. So instead of being reactive in those situations, how powerful it is for us to do some of what many of these prayers centered around tonight, and that is to engage God in prayer. To say, God, we want to be able to do your work effectively, and so help us, bless us, and be with us. But I also want you to notice that Jesus prayed in personally trying times. And in this, he gives us such a great example. We forget about the humanity of Jesus as he is going about to change the world as dramatically as he does. But Jesus hurt when those in his life were struggling. Do you see how Jesus responds In prayer in John chapter 11 verse 41 and 42, when his dear friend Lazarus dies and he goes to the tomb, you'll find him engaged in prayer. When Jesus is feeling the pressure of adversity, when he knows that he's about to go to the cross, in Luke chapter 22 verse 41 through 44, you find Jesus in his great trial praying intensely. In Luke chapter 23, when Jesus is on the cross, you'll find how fervently in verse 34 through verse 46 that Jesus engages in the practice of prayer. And what an example it is for me because I'm going to find myself in a trying times. In Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 7, I'm going to find myself in need of the Lord's assistance and His intervention. And so I'm going to pray in my trying times as He did. But I also look in Jesus' life and I see that Jesus prays for the protection of others. And that really helps me to look and see Jesus in John chapter 17, for example, as he is praying about his disciples and what they're about to go through and how he wants them to succeed spiritually. He reminds me that my prayer life doesn't need to be absorbed in self-interest, that I need to teach myself about the importance of praying for others In James chapter 5 and verse 16, the Bible tells us that we are to pray for one another. In 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 2, we're to pray for kings and for those who are in authority. And in Luke chapter 6 and verse 28, we're to pray for our enemies. You see, I find myself following the example of Jesus when I pray for the protection of others. 
But I also see that we have Jesus praying when others needed a pattern for prayer. You know, I think about those who are excellent, or at least in my estimation, as imperfect as it is, those who lead beautiful prayers. Maybe in your mind you have a list of those that you think about who seem to be superlative in prayer. They're a model to follow, but can you imagine what it must have been like to have been able to pray in the hearing of Jesus? To have him to lead you in prayer? Just Would you not like to have him to just lead the prayer before the meal at the fellowship where you were present? Here is Jesus who is such a pattern. In Matthew chapter 6, he realizes in that model prayer that he can help us for the things that we need in our lives, everything that we face from food to forgiveness. That he helps us to focus on the areas of need in our life. That we in our prayer will show our dependency upon him for the physical and the spiritual and the social things. And we see that pattern of prayer that Jesus gives us. He shows us that prayer is all about the glory of God and about the will of God being done. No wonder they come to him in Luke chapter 11 and verse 1. And so we see this constant attention that the gospel writers will show to us when Jesus is praying. But I want you to focus with me tonight just on not only on when Jesus prayed, but I want you to see how Jesus prayed. When we look at how Jesus prayed, we not, are not talking about the posture of his prayer, although the gospels, for whatever reason, give us some examples of how Jesus prayed. In Matthew chapter 26 and verse 39, and in Luke chapter 22, verse 42 through 44, we see that Jesus is so intense in his prayer life that he falls on his face, prostrate before God in prayer. But he didn't always pray that way. In Luke chapter 3 and verse 21, we find Jesus praying at his baptism. But on other occasions, we find in, in John chapter 17 and verse 1 that Jesus lifted up his eyes as he prayed to God in heaven. In Luke 22 and verse 41, we see that Jesus kneeled and prayed in that posture. God is showing us through his word that he doesn't care about the physical posture of our prayer, though all of those might be good for us in various places in life where we find ourselves in various reasons for prayer. But I want you to notice with me how Jesus prayed. Jesus prayed deliberately. And by that I mean that Jesus was devoting himself so often and so frequently to prayer. Just to take one gospel as an example. In the book of Luke, there are no less than nine of Jesus' individual prayers, seven of which are not in the other gospels. And in addition to those nine prayers, we have two parables where Jesus teaches about the importance of prayer. Jesus found himself in constant need. He could never go very far before any big event in his ministry before he knelt in prayer. And if God the Son was so dependent on such frequency in prayer, so must I be deliberate. But Jesus also prayed passionately. Look at Jesus' prayers and see how often you find him shedding tears, being intense and being fervent. And again, if Jesus found himself so passionately engaged in prayer, so should I be. Then we also find Jesus praying trustingly. As Jesus goes to the Father, dependent upon his help to do his will on this earth, you see him trusting God to help him through the things that he needed to do in his ministry. 
you'll see the trust in the raising of Lazarus in Luke chapter 11 and verse 41. When Jesus says, God, I thank you that you hear me. I do not say this for my own benefit, but for those who are with me that they might believe in you. Jesus showed an unswerving belief that God was going to be with him in the prayers that he prayed. And he shows us a great example in that. And Jesus prayed frequently. When we see Jesus' prayer life, we find out how we ought to do it. But we also find Jesus praying reverently. No one had a closer relationship with the Father than Jesus. In John chapter 17 and verse 5, Jesus talked about having glory with the Father from the eternity before time. In John chapter 17 and verse 21, Jesus says that, uh, that they are one, God the Father and the Son. There, there's no way that we're ever going to be as close to the Father as Jesus was. And yet Jesus, that close to the Father, still shows us that we don't go flippantly before the throne of God, but Jesus reverently approaches his Father. Even at the times when what he desired went against what, his, and his, what he feared, went against the Father's will, he was willing to say, not my will, but yours be done. He was reverent in his approach the one that was his father. You know, there is no tension there. Our prayer life should grow to such a degree that we're so close to our God that we feel that intimate connection in prayer and still revere him as the creator and the judge of all. But I also want you to notice one other thing about the prayer life of Jesus. We have seen when it was that he prayed and how that he prayed, but I want you to think for a moment about who Jesus prayed for. Jesus, in the focus of his prayer life, prayed for his disciples. John chapter 17 is the longest recorded prayer of Jesus in the Bible. And he begins that prayer in John chapter 17, verse 6 through 12, in talking about how much he was grateful for the faithfulness that they had demonstrated, that they were glorifying God because of the way that they had uh, demonstrated themselves to be true to him, except for, of course, Judas. Then he begins to pray about them. Jesus shows us an example of how unselfish prayer should be. Jesus devotes so little prayer on his own self-interest. Not like that famed and fabled prayer of the man who said, God bless me and my wife and my son John and his wife, us four and no more. Jesus is focused very intently on others. As Jesus prays about their faithfulness, he also prays, God, I want you to sanctify them. But not only that, I want you to save them. I, I want you to use them. I want you to unite them. All the way throughout John chapter 17, Jesus rivets his focus. Jesus looks across the centuries and he prays for you and me, 21st century Christians, and he prays about us. So what's the application for us? Jesus wants you and me to be praying about the disciples of Jesus. He wants us to pray for one another. Now I'll tell you, it's a revolutionary thing when we begin to focus on one another in our prayer life. It is hard to be angry at and to be alienated from and to be apathetic about somebody that you are agonizing in prayer about. If you'll take out that church directory app that you have, and if you just want to start alphabetically, just go through and begin to pray for the individuals that make up the church family at Lehman. Maybe you already do that. I'm going to tell you what happens when you begin to pray for the members of the body of Christ. You're going to give more grace to 
And you're going to do less gossiping about your brothers and sisters in Christ. You're going to feel more sympathy for and you're going to feel less cynicism against your brothers and sisters in Christ. You're going to feel more love for and less loathing for your brothers and sisters in Christ. When we think about praying for one another and the power that comes in that, the Bible tells us, and we would all agree, that the Lord wants us to pray for His church. And when we pray for the church, who are we praying for? Acts 2 and verse 47 says, The Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. So when we pray about the church, we're praying about the members of the church. So when you focus on your prayer life, maybe this week, in a way like you've not done in quite a while, will you pray for the church, the church at Lehman, and by that, the individual members that make up the body of Christ? You see, when Jesus prayed and he devoted himself to those that he would pray about, he prayed about his followers. And what a great example for us. Then Jesus also prayed for his enemies. It's a challenging teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew chapter 5, in verse 44, he says that we are to pray for those that persecute us and who despitefully use us. And that may be a challenge to us at times to intercede on behalf of those who have hurt us in some way. But Jesus demonstrates the importance of it. And he's not hypocritical in this regard. I think about the power of Luke 23, 33 through 37, when Jesus is on his way to the cross... And Jesus, as he is uh, heading there, is being ridiculed by the soldiers and by the crowd. And as he is being ridiculed even by the criminals who are going with him to be condemned to die, what does he say in verse 34? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Jesus gives such energy in prayer that even when he is dying, he hoists himself up on the cross so he can get enough breath to pray three prayers to his Father. He prays, Father, uh, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. One of the three prayers that Jesus forces himself to pray, one of the longest, is on behalf of the folks who were causing his death on the cross. I want you to think about what happens when you pray for your enemies. I believe that when we pray for our enemies, it changes our hearts toward them. I think that when we pray for our enemies, what we're praying for is for grace to happen on God's behalf. And how might God answer that? They might become converted or they might change in the way that they are. When we pray for our, our enemies, what we do is we unlock the door to inner peace. When we pray for our enemies, it changes the way we look at them, not as an abstract monster, but as a being who is made in the very image of God. Jesus tells us of the importance of praying for the ones that hurt us the most. Think about what that will do for you spiritually if you'll pray like Jesus did for your enemies. In Romans 12 and verse 21, is this not part of what Paul is talking about when he says that we are not to avenge ourselves of evil, but we're to repay evil with good? When we pray for our enemies. But then Jesus also prayed for himself. In Luke 22 and verse 44, he did not want to face the agony of the cross, and so he asked God to relieve him from that. He shows us that prayer should not center around ourselves, that we should grow more unselfish in prayer, but we need prayer as much as anyone else. I don't know how you feel about your prayer life. I strive to pray not just every day, but increasingly throughout the day. But I'm dissatisfied with my prayer life. 
I want it to be deeper. I want it to be more profound. I want it to please God more. I want to be more comprehensive in prayer. How are we going to accomplish that? Certainly we can practice and we need to practice. But what we need to do is to find the very best models we can and imitate them. And there's no greater model than Jesus. I think about two passages that challenge me when I look at the prayer life of Jesus. In Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 7, the Bible says that Jesus in the days of his flesh, when he'd offered up prayers and supplications with strong cryings and tears unto the one that was able to save him from death and was heard in that he feared, I asked myself, when is the last time that my prayers have brought me to tears? Or I think about in Luke chapter 22 and verse 44, when Jesus, in the throes of fervent prayer, as he is staggering about, prays, and the the sweat begins to fall like droplets of blood on the ground. When is the last time that my prayer life has broke me out in a sweat? Jesus shows me the importance of growing my prayer life. And so in my heart I say, as the disciples did, Lord, teach me to pray. May I encourage you to make a journal of your prayer life To begin to measure and look at what it is that you're praying about. When it is that you find yourself praying. Noting as you can and as you will in an evaluation how you pray. And especially look at how you can grow who it is that you pray for. I'm so thankful for whoever all was involved in us coming up with this prayer service Once a month, I'm looking forward to it every month. That all that God is going to do through the prayers of the saints here. I think that when we look back a year from now, we're going to see a huge difference because we took the time to give such emphasis and to see with faith the power of prayer. You know, there's maybe someone here tonight for whom others have been praying for you to obey the gospel or to be restored, or perhaps you're praying about things in your life and it's so much bigger than you and you realize your need of others to join you in prayer for whatever it is that you might be struggling with. It would be our honor tonight to go to the throne of God in prayer for you if there's some need that you have spiritually. Or maybe if you're ready to partner with the prayers of those who are seeking you to become a child of God. If you're ready to do that, the water's ready. I saw Rick put his hand in the water and it's ready to go. We're ready if you are, and you know the God of heaven is ready if you're ready to make that decision. If this is your invitation tonight, we would urge you to come right now as we stand and sing.